0: Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation? But not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.app/breadbox.
1: Welcome to the Champions Podcast with your hosts Mike Rubin and Coach Phil, the podcast where we share stories of faith being activated through sports.
2: Welcome to the Champions Podcast, everybody. We are so excited to have you joining us today. We have an extra special guest who absolutely knocks it out of the park. Guys, we are joined by... Former Buffalo Bill, Carolina Panther, Green Bay Packer, wide receiver Don Beebe. For those of you that aren't familiar with Don Beebe, he played with the Bills from 1989 to 1994. He was part of their uh, teams that made it to four consecutive Super Bowls. Then he played for the Carolina Panthers for a year in 1995 before joining the Green Bay Packers in 1996 to 97, where he won a Super Bowl then he's been a coach at Aurora Christian High School for 10 years and now at Aurora University where he is the head coach of a division 3 football team that last year went 9 and 2 guys you are going to be blown away by Don Beebe's podcast, by by his his message. I mean, he absolutely knocked it out of the park. He's got an incredible testimony, and I know that there were so many parts of it that just really stood out to me, and so I think you're going to be blessed. Enjoy listening. Don Beebe, welcome to the Champions Podcast. It is our pleasure to have you joining us today. How are you doing today, sir?
1: I'm doing great, Michael. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. Well,
2: I promise you the pleasure is all ours, and we are excited to just jump right in. And uh, I, I know God has done a tremendous work in your life, and I've only been able to scratch the surface of it, and I can't wait for our listeners to hear it. But before we get into any of that, do you mind if we open up in prayer?
1: Yeah, sounds good.
2: Fantastic. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord God, and your word says in Matthew eighteen twenty. for again I say to you... If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And, Lord God, we come to you begging and pleading that you will use Don's testimony to impact the lives of others, Lord God, that while they may not be able to relate to the entire testimony, they will be able to pull out bits and pieces of it. That they can relate to their life, Lord God. That maybe there's a piece in their te- in in Don's testimony that will hit them directly between the eyes where they are in their season, Lord God. Ultimately, Lord, we just want Your name made famous and the hope that we have found in You, Lord God. We plead for others to find that in You as well, and so uh, we we pray that You go before us, Lord God, and um, bless this podcast in Your great and mighty name. We pl- we pray, Amen, Amen. So Don, let's just jump. Let's start at the very beginning. Uh did you grow up in a house that uh where faith was was important or was that something you developed later in life?
1: No, I uh I grew up in a, a home that mom and dad um you know faith was the number one thing in the BB family. Uh you know we went to church Sunday morning, church Sunday night, uh and then youth group Wednesday uh evening. So I didn't know anything different. My two older sisters and two younger brothers um are all saved. Mom and dad are still alive. Love the Lord with all their heart. And when I was seven years old, I knew exactly what it meant to give my heart to Christ.
2: Wow. That's incredible. And can you kind of go a little bit more in depth in that? Like, how did you know at seven years old and what did that look like? Because I know as a FCA area rep, I know I talk to a lot of student athletes that are in at the high school level and they don't know. You know what I mean? And so can you kind of just walk us through that?
1: Yeah, you know, for it's it's funny because you know coaching and coaching football in high school and then coaching football now in college, you know, uh, and then playing uh, for a long time in the NFL and you come back to that level, you're like, okay, I got to scale back here, <laughs> you know, I got to be able to talk at their level. Um, well, it's the same thing in my faith. You know, I've been saved since seven, and I've never wanted to walk away. Never have walked away. Um, have have had the forefront that God's always been first in my life? Uh, have I had struggles? Who hasn't, right? Everybody has. Uh, and certainly I've had those struggles, but I've never had a time where I've wanted to walk away, and I've always tried to uh, study the Word, you know. And so now that I take that, I have to, when I'm speaking with the college, because I lead a Bible study every Thursday, and I did in high school as well, you know, I have to make sure that it's, that I, talk in terms that they understand, you know, in the sense of how really simple it is to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, Um, you know, because sometimes when you talk the Bible, they're like, oh, I don't understand that. Well, it's not hard. It's pretty easy. Um, You know, it's just something where you got to take the time, you know, to learn something about, uh, you know, his, his word. And so I find it the most rewarding thing a person can do is to lead someone to Christ and to tell people about the Lord. And um, and I will do that through football, most likely, for the rest of my life.
2: That's fantastic. And who was it growing up? I mean, obviously you said, uh, praise God, your parents are still alive, and yeah. they're believers, and they're saved, and so I'm sure they played a huge role. But were there other influences? Was there a children's ministry? Were there other voices? Like, when you look back now, who were those people that just kind of— uh spoke life into you and, and kind of shared the gospel with you.
1: Sure. I mean obviously, you know, Larry Hodge, Reverend Larry Hodge, my pastor growing up in the church, uh, Dan Lang, the youth director. Uh but you know I I will say this, Mike, is the I, I really truly believe the most important people that can speak that is your is your parents, Amen. your your mom and dad. And and I think that's people, I don't you know, and I deal with parents all the time. I think they miss the boat so much in this area that the most important role that you have in your kid's life is to lead them in a relationship with Christ. Um, and so kids, you know, that are out there, um, young adults that are out there, they might not have that. it. matter of fact, most don't. Uh, so they have to find that somewhere. So I, I always suggest to, to the college students that I coach now, you know, get into a strong Bible-teaching church. And, uh, and center yourself around other believers on the team or get to know believers on the team better and what makes them who they are and why. Um, and, you know, because there's a lot of guys that I co- have coached that are searching. They're like, Coach, they're just not out there. I said, no, they're out there. You just got to find them. They're out mm-hmm. there. And uh, so that's, that's what I tell people if they don't have that, that grounded root in their upbringing and family. So I was just fortunate, blessed to have that.
2: So then looking back on your life, there was no, you know how a lot of people have those come to Jesus moments where yeah. their faith was, you know, up until X amount of years, it was their parents' faith. But then mm-hmm. some, some life circumstance came along and now all of a sudden their faith became real. But it sounds like mm-hmm. at seven, y- your faith was real. You knew what it meant to be a believer. You knew what uh, mm-hmm. You knew exactly what you were doing when you put your faith in the Lord.
1: Yeah, I think the the my dad was very great in this area because he would always tell us, you know, this isn't this you know just because you go to church doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you know your mom and dad love the Lord with all their heart doesn't mean you all you do. And so they taught us that it was our our own decision that we had to make to submit to the, to the Lord, you know. Um, and so it was something that was taught to us at a very young age as as a, ki- a kids that it wasn't, and none of the five kids really struggled in that area of well we just grew up in the church and we're you know this is the thing to do uh we knew how important that decision was absolutely hands down the most important decision one person can make no doubt and my dad stressed that to to his kids when we were young that's amazing yeah so for me i just wanted to fill it in when i uh, you know at seven you know our pastor was talking about salvation and and just asked if anybody wanted to receive Christ and and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And man, I was all, I was, I was jumped out of my seat and I was like, man, I was seven. And I'm like, no, I was an introverted kid, Mike. So I was, I mean, really introverted, really. And my aunt Marion was sitting with me in church and and I wanted to go to the altar. I wanted to give my heart to Christ, man. (laughs) And, um, and so I, I I just asked my aunt, would she go with me? And she did. So she went up there with me and, Pastor led me in Sinner's Prayer, and I I knew exactly what what that meant, and that He died and rose again three days for me, for my sins, and I'm forgiven, and all I have to do is I ask. I mean Romans ten nine basically says that. Just express it, just let Him know, you know, from your heart and your mouth, and and you shall be saved. And so I did. Uh, and then my aunt asked me. She says, "Is there anything that you would want to ask God special? I mean, is there any special request that you have today?" And I said. I, I, yeah, I, I would like to be or do something special in sports. I mean, that was kind of my prayer, you know. And so I knew at a very young age I was going to be sports. And whatever that was, I had no idea. Um, but, man, the path that I took and just to see how God worked miracle after miracle and opened door after door, There, there's absolutely no way I should have played in the NFL if it wasn't for the Lord.
2: Well, let's continue down that road. And, I mean, first of all, praise God for – for a pastor and, and family members who didn't say, oh, you're only seven. You Like, you're too young. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I in yeah. uh, so many places we say, oh, the next generation, the next generation. They're the now generation.
3: Right. You know what I mean? No and,
2: and you can't discredit what God does in a certain individual's heart. And praise God you had people that were fanning the flame that God was yeah. creating. And so.
1: Yeah, well, let me, well, let me just say this, Michael. Please. Satan's at work with kids that are seven. Believe me. He, Satan is at work of trying to to steal that same thing that God is willing to give us and um and what is that age i don't I can't answer that question only God can answer that question you know so uh I just knew exactly what it meant at seven and our four kids too i my wife Diana and I have four children ourselves you know we made we made really sure that they understood what salvation was and let and let the spirit work in them. And that moment would come. We knew it would, um, but we prayed over those children from day one, before they were even born, um, for our children to to come to salvation.
2: That's fantastic. And how old are your kids?
1: Well, let's see. I, our oldest is twenty seven with two grandchildren. Uh, my son is twenty five, and then I got two more daughters that are twenty one and eighteen.
2: Okay, so I'm going to jump ahead and then we're going to come back to, to you growing up. But, you know, it's a lot different. Nowadays there are a lot more competing factors for the hearts of our children than there were mm-hmm. when when you and I were growing up. And, you know, we yeah. didn't have to deal with the temptation of technology or social media to the yep. level and extent that that kids do today. And, you know, a lot of times we find families and as a parent, I have an eight year old son and an f- almost five year old daughter and I'm guilty of it myself. Sometimes it's easy to just put them in front of the TV, you know what I yeah. mean? Or to let them play PlayStation or use the iPad. And it really takes intentionality to say, hey, like, we're going to make this a priority. And so you do have kids that um, grew up in the social media age and, and era. And so can you just kind of speak into how did you and your wife kind of make discipleship in your home a priority?
1: Yeah. So we put limitations on all social media, for one. Uh, even though everybody else had a, a cell phone, okay, our kids did not at, until a certain age, until we thought it was necessary, um, and we would tell them why. We would explain instead of just saying no, no, you can't have it. Uh, we sat them down and explained to them why. Why was this important? Not to have this because because of what evil can come from that. And there's a lot of good things that can come from social media as well. Okay, but let's let's focus on what what would why do we need this for one? What's why why, why is it important? a to have it or not to have it okay and when we did allow it at that certain age then there were limitations on that as well listen being a parent is a is part of parenting your kids okay and 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 with that being said you have to when the world is always saying yes 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 no we have to say no and we have to tell them why and i i think once you explain to the kid why in a in a loving manner um you know they'll get it They'll get it. Our, our our four kids have never struggled in this area. They've always said, "You know what, Dad, you're right. We don't need that." Or, and look at the evil that comes from, you know, uh, having certain things, uh, social media or whatever it is, or watching TV or having a TV in your own bedroom, you know, at whatever young age that is. Um, and then the other thing is that we f- understood and knew at a very young age in our marriage, and we knew it before we were married, but. The number one thing that children want and need is time, the parents' time. Yep. The m- Kids want to spend time with, with the parents, and, and especially at a very young age. And so if you start to build that relationship with your child, then as they get older to the teenage years, when they do start to leave the nest, in a sense, and want to start doing certain things and away from mom and dad, um, then... It's okay, but they always come home mm. because you have built that relationship with them at such a young age and that trust and, and they know that you care unconditionally, agape love, that they get it. So they don't want to leave uh, in a sense of, you know, putting it behind. I mean, obviously every child has to leave. I get it. But um, I'm talking about their heart and just their, their willingness to love to be at home with mom and dad. Uh, and around their family we have a uh, one thing about my family is my mom and dad my dad didn't have it okay my dad grew up in an abused home and and it was just an awful experience his dad never said that he loved him ever Mm. and he he would come home from school he says he remembers when he's like 10 11 and dad would be sitting at the kitchen table grandpa would be sitting at the kitchen table and wouldn't even recognize that his son just came home He'd keep his nose in the newspaper, and, his, and the son would even, dad would try to talk to grandpa, and grandpa wouldn't even acknowledge him. Wow. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, my dad was bound to determine when he got saved, um, he was going to raise his kids in a Christian home. So he started taking us on a fishing trip, believe this or not, when I was five years old. And we go to the, up in northern Minnesota, and the five kids, this will be our 50th year, Mike, 50 years in a row now when we go up in June, and nobody's ever missed. And that party went from the original seven to now fifty three, wow. family members, and nobody of that fifty three has ever missed that trip. Oh, it's a Lord. it's an unbelievable family tradition, and every person that is of age that understands salvation is saved and has a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's incredible. Wow. Yeah. Wow.
2: That that <laughs> that's enough yeah. to get you choked up.
1: Yeah, it is, and it, but it's all one man's decision. And, one and, man's decision.
2: God you recently know? has been putting on my heart legacy. You know, because yeah. I just think we we all have this privilege and this opportunity. We're leaving a legacy behind whether we like it or not. Yep. But we've got the quicker we realize that we get to, to, to we get to determine what that legacy is, uh, the you know, the the better it can be written. You know, and it's just amazing to me one of the things that God's be, also been also been sharing with me, I feel like in terms of that is that we have to view each other as patriarchs and matriarchs of our faith. You know, when your dad put his faith in the Lord, he wasn't thinking five generations later, but because of his decision, because of his willingness to put his faith in the Lord, you know, 120 years from now, there might be a a boy or a girl that says, man, I can trace my faith lineage seven generations back. And it starts with your dad's yes to God.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so Abraham, isn't it? Ah. I mean, it's crazy. Um, uh, the, the most important thing that we can give our children is that legacy in Christ and, and the knowledge of him Amen. Uh, and plant those seeds in our kids early. Uh, I, I really think this. I mean, this may sound strange, but I just believe in this wholeheartedly that every child, you know, as I said, wants their parents time. OK, so precious. Time is so precious. But every child wants to be disciplined in love. So uh, with our four kids, they always knew what that line was, not to cross. And when they crossed it, there was discipline to be handed down, whatever that discipline was. But we disciplined out of love. We would never spank, okay, there's a dirty word nowadays, okay, <laughs> we would never spank or discipline our kids out of anger. Just wouldn't. We just wouldn't do it. You know, we would sit them down, tell them why, and if it was deserving of a spanking or whatever that was, um, they knew that we really cared about them, yeah, you know we cared about their future and what they were going to turn out and hang with and and boy, I tell you our our four children are special kids, man, mm. they really are um and its and I think it's because they know that mom and dad love them unconditionally um you know now you know it's it's different now because they're all they're all out of the house at college or wherever they are and but yet they they love to gravitate home, man, they just do because it's a, it's a special place for them.
2: And isn't that amazing because so many times I feel like as parents we feel like oh we have to be the cool parent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we have to let our all the yeah. other kids are are able to get a cell phone at this age. Great. Well, we want to be cool. Yep. We want our kids to grow up and want to hang out with us. And like you spoke to, the reality is is that it's that discipline and love. It's that quality time with them at a young age that that essentially draws them home. It's not spoiling them and teaching them that there aren't consequences. And so I think that's so powerful. And you know, you're you're talking about. Discipline, and I, that's such a fine line to walk because uh, yeah. when we discipline our children, we are representing the Father when yeah. we do that. And and yeah. in those moments where we discipline out of anger, um, we, we are – I believe we are set, planting seeds or sending a message that, that's, you know, that, that must be how God disciplines. So now there's yeah. this judgment that's hanging over me that, that God's wrath is going to come. And when I mess up, he's going to yell at me. And that yeah. couldn't be any further from the truth.
1: Right, exactly. And, and my, I remember my dad always telling me, he says, son, I'm not your best friend. I'm your dad. And I said, but once you leave the house, we'll be best friends. Mm. And, you know, and he was right. He was right. And I told that the same thing to my son. Uh, in our you know and even our kids because when they're growing up you're your dad you're looked at it you're not looked at you know the the kids that they hang out with school their best friends at school which you know um, is it's just a different it's a different way of looking at authority um, and so our children always understood that I was dad a loving father okay hopefully <laughs> you know uh, most of the time um, but until they left and and when they left the house then they became our best friends and um and it and it's so worked especially with my son um and uh i don't know i think that's one of my dad just was a very wise man i mean way beyond his years young um and i think it was because he just dwelt into the scriptures when he got saved and and he knew exactly what he wanted to be as a as a husband and as a father
2: parents listen to this because it can be done
1: yeah (laughs) it can be done it can be done
2: and and obviously there's no there's no magic recipe because if there was your dad would be a a multi-billionaire because every parent would want to know the recipe and and yes we have to we have to parent each child differently because they're uniquely wired but at the end of the day it sounds like your dad just surrendered you guys to the Lord and he surrendered his parenting to the Lord and allowed God to be in control.
1: Yeah. And I I think the number one word when people ask me this question, the number one word that comes to my mind is humility. And it's exactly what, what Christ is to us when he doesn't have to at all. uh, He's so humble and knows our, our heart is hurting our, we're just having a bad day or whatever that is. And and I remember my dad always being very humble, and I think it's one trait I hope that I exude to the team that I coach and certainly my four children that I raised, that I'm just a guy, you know, trying to do what's right in the Lord and be obedient to that but and being humble in the respect that, listen, I'm not an NFL football player. I'm just dad, you know. Uh, I'm just your coach. Uh, I'm just another guy that is trying my hardest to please the Lord and and to do what's right. And I think when kids your own kids and certainly players that you coach or people that you're around in general, if you're a teacher or whatever that is, if if people, young people see the humility in you, they're way more willing to listen Amen. and do the right thing along with you. So I, I, I we just become so selfish and so arrogant in our world today that everybody has the answer and they really don't. You know? Just humble yourself, Mm. because there's only one person that has all the answers, and that's the Word of God. Amen.
3: Amen.
2: Oh, that's and and
1: let me add to that. Let me add to that, Mike. I'm sorry, but my dad always used to say this too. He says, he says, don't base your decisions on feelings. Don't base your decision on your heart. Base your decision on truth. Mm. And the truth is the Word of God. Whatever the Word of God says, that's what you do.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, that's all because we are. Without getting too much into that, we are in a very. Feelings feelings have become very popular yeah. now, you know, and yeah. uh, feelings fail us. Feelings yep. fail us, you know. Uh, yeah, so um, I do want to go back to your childhood and growing up, and a lot of the people that listen are high school athletes, and um, how did you navigate your faith through high school balancing that, hey, I want to be accepted, I want to be popular, I want to be cool, with mm-hmm. I know, you know, I, I know the path that God's calling me on.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that the, I, I, I come back to, I knew I wanted to be a great athlete and I knew I was a Christian. Okay. Uh, I, you know, yes, I made wrong decisions. No question about it. I tried for the most part to be, to do the right thing. I think that the, I think the greatest thing you can do as a Christian um, is one word is be obedient. Just be obedient. Try to do the right thing. Uh, I mean, we know the wrong thing. Okay, so I wasn't a drinker. Um, that doesn't mean I didn't go to parties, but when I would, I would stay away from that. Okay? Um, and I, I use my son a lot uh, as an example because he's a perfect example in a lot of things that I was taught myself and then tried to teach him. But he, even when he's a little boy, he, you know, when things started to get a little rough, Think toys are being thrown or whatever it is he would remove himself you know and he knew right and from wrong at a very young age and he would learn how to be obedient to that and just flee and run and so I would advise young adults today to when you know the troubles happening and or going to happen or you're right in the midst of it to just remove yourself okay and leave yeah um, and say and tell your friends let's go I don't want to be here. And I always said this to people because a lot of times, well, they'll make fun of me. Making fun of you is a compliment. Mm. It's a compliment. And they're like, what are you talking about, compliment? Because they want to do what you're doing, but they don't have the courage to do it. Because they know right from wrong as well. They're just a coward. They're not willing to do that because they want to fit in. And, and, And please, don't try to fit into this world because we're not of this world. Okay, you're just not. Uh, you're of Christ's kingdom, and 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 because of that, you have a role in this world, certainly, and you've been given talents in this world, no doubt, and you're supposed to use that to glorify Him. That's why you were created in the first place, yeah. you know. And so when things start to go awry, and you know it's wrong, and your spirit's telling you, you gotta you gotta remove yourself. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I would, the main advice to do because. You know, the, the most important decision you're gonna make is accept Jesus Christ, your Lord Lord and Savior, number one. Number two, the most important second decision you're gonna be is who you're gonna marry, yeah. who you're gonna spend eternity or not eternity, but here on the rest of this earth with, your mate. Okay. And then number three, if you're especially if you're a young adult in high school and college, okay, it's probably who you hang around with. The friends that you keep. Um and I use the analogy all the time. It's a whole lot easier to, to take somebody off that chair than it is to pick them up and get them up on that chair with you. So make yep. sure you understand what hand you're grabbing onto, mm, you good. know. So so just be with be with people that are of the same likeness. And in the world of sports, you know, you can find it. You can find it. There's always groups in every team that I've ever been around that has solid people trying to do the right thing. Center yourself around those guys or girls.
2: That's so good. That's so good. You know, I've shared that I'm an FCA area rep and it's amazing. You know, when you talk to high school athletes and it's, it truly is a war for their heart in there's part of me that knows the right answer, but then there's this other, there's this flesh of me that doesn't want to quote unquote miss out on things, you know? And, and I just always think that's, It's easy to provide an answer. It's tough to walk that out in their life, you know? And so I think the more voices, I think our voice, the voice of truth, God's truth, has to be louder than the lies of the enemy, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's surrounding them with people, coaches like yourself. And like you said, choosing the right groups to hang out with and then being able to have that conversation like, okay, what are these things that you're afraid you're going to miss out on because as mm-hmm. believers we should have more fun than anybody
1: we're yeah, not searching no. for
2: will this provide me happiness oh nope that leaves me empty in the morning will this will this will... we know where the source of happiness comes from
1: yeah well here's here's the problem with that okay and i shouldn't say problem but here's here's how to, here's a solution for that let's say um is and i always use the terms especially paul uses the terms athletics a lot and, and build yourself up as an athlete and run the race to win and all that stuff right and so for me being an athlete i use this analogy a lot that if you want to be a great christian and make better decisions and more right decisions not saying you're going to make them all right because you're not because uh, you're you know we're going to fail um it's kind of like an athlete. When you're in training, what do you do? You beat your body down. You train hard to be the best athlete that you can be. So because because of that, you become a better athlete. You make better decisions within the game that you may play because you've studied. You know what you're doing. Okay? Uh, you're better trained, you stay healthier because you're better trained, all these things. Well, it's the same thing in your Christian walk. Yeah. If you want to be able to get into a situation where you know that right and wrong, but you just want to fit in, you kind of want to go along with the deal, well, if you're weak in your walk, well, guess what? You're probably going to succumb to it. But if you're strong in your walk, by by reading His Word, by praying daily, by by just... You know, First Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing and just going about your walk in Christ daily and spending more time with Him and becoming more like Him because you're studying that and you're, and you're willing to put the time to that, oh, you're going to make a whole lot better decisions. Yeah. Okay. There's no question about it. You're going to say, no, I don't want to. And when somebody says, well, why not? Are you too good? Yeah, well, if you want to call me that, that's fine. I'm good with that, yeah. okay? Yeah. Uh, but I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. Um, and I, I, I hope that I've instilled that in my kids, that this world is going to be ugly and the world is going to make you feel like you don't fit in and everything of that nature. It's okay. Yeah. You're good. And guess what? All four of my kids were all popular kids <laughs> in high school and in college, um, because they just have that personality that's attractive and that personality is Christ.
2: That's awesome. That's awesome, and I hope our listeners hear this, especially our young listeners who who hear your story and hear you saying, "Man, I wanted to grow up, and I wanted God to use me special and with athletics and stuff like that." Because you have, by the grace of God, achieved the pinnacle of uh, in athletics. You know, and um, it's not the fame that you're talking about; it's not the money. That you're talking about, it's not the riches or, or all the opportunities that come with being a professional athlete that you're talking about. It's at the end of the day, it's your relationship with God.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, as an athlete, you're right. I I have reached the pinnacle of the Super Bowl. Um, I've been in six championship games, NFC and AFC championships, in one all six. I uh, have won some high school championships as a high school coach uh, back-to-back in, in conference championships, you know, another ring. I mean, you he, he just get a lot of rings. <laughs> and I'm like, what do those rings do? Nothing. They collect dust. They sit on a shelf and they collect dust. Uh, but the platform that it has given me has been immense, yeah. I mean, to reach the kingdom, and that's the important thing. So it's not when you when you achieve things or whatever it is, and we're talking athletics here. It could be anything. Um, you're achieving them for him. Your platform is centered around him. And I would hope that when people see me, that they see the humility of Christ in me, and not this, not a person that thinks he's achieved great things and look at me. And I mean, I hope I'm I hope that I'm so far from that person, you know, um, because that's just not attractive to me whatsoever. And neither are people that I've known in my life. It's just not attractive, yeah. and I come back to the word again: humility.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, humility is attractive, um, and so I, I just know this: that when I when I'm when it's all said and done, okay, and and I leave this earth, or God takes us from this earth, and I stand in front of the Lord, He's not going to say, "Hey, Don, great job of all the wins." <laughs> <laughs> he's going to say, "Hey, you know what? I put Johnny in front of you, man. Nineteen ninety nine. What'd you do with him?" Yeah. You know, I put Billy and Bob and all these all these players that I put in front of you and people that I put in front of you. I think the greatest reward, obviously, obviously being in being with the Lord. But, man, I, I, I envision this so much all the time. And I talk about and I was just talking about this yesterday with one of the players. I said, you know, when when I when we get to heaven, it's going to be a lot more normal than we think. You know, I mean, it's going to be—we're going to be walking the streets of gold, and we're going to be walking with the Lord, and we're going to be walking with people we know, our family, our friends. But there's going to be people that I hope that that we'll be—I'll be walking down the street, and they'll come and they'll come up and say, "Hey, Don," and I won't even know who this person is, you know, and they'll just say, "Hey, thanks, man, thank you," and I'll say, "Well, what do you mean?" and and they'll tell me that story that. Yeah, I heard you speak at this, or your book that I read your book, or you know I heard you on the radio. or I heard this message here that we're doing now, and and it and it just changed my life. And and I'll be honest with you, that that just kind of chokes you up. Yeah, you know because it's it, at that point in time you're going to realize, which I will probably realize already before then, but this is what it's all about. Right. That's what it's all about, man. That you're that you're telling people about the Lord, and and you're using the gifts that God has given you, and boy. The greatest race you can run is that race right there when God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I mean, what better words to hear than that?
3: None. None.
2: None. And and I just recently had the privilege of interviewing Paul Tesori. He's the caddy for the golfer Webb Simpson, and he shares a story about Webb Simpson that, you know, uh, I believe Webb went to Wake Forest. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but um, he wanted to win the ACC championship. So bad. So bad. So bad. Well, he ends up winning it. I think his junior or senior year, and afterwards he just he calls you know one of his close confidants and it's like, I thought this was going to feel different, you know. Like we have these huge if, if professional sports, if if uh, you know if if getting playing college sports, if that is our end goal and what we think making it looks like when we get there, we're going to be, I believe, sorely disappointed that it's like so this is it. But yeah. that's when we put our hope in the athletics basket. You know what I mean? Yeah. When our hope is in, Hey, God's equipped me with these talents and these athlete, this athleticism and this ability for a reason. And like you said, that reason is to share the gospel with people. Then your hope, you know, it, it's not in our athletic right. accomplishments. Like you said, those are, those uh, allow you to have a platform to do what ultimately matters most. And, I, I, yeah. I think that that's absolutely awesome. And speaking of that platform, at what point did you realize, hey, I, not only did I pray that God would use me uh, somewhere in athletics, but I might have the athletic ability to take this on to college and then even possibly the NFL?
1: At what point did I realize that? Yes. Oh, man. Um Boy. I, you know, I, I, I always dreamt it as a uh, – and kind of believed that because I'm – I really think that – and Frank Reich used to tell this to me all the time. He says, man, your greatest gift is faith, unshakable faith. And I, I, I think it's just a gift, I, you know, that God gave me at a very young age that if I really felt like God wanted me to do something, I, I'm going to do it. It's just a matter of time. But it had to come from him and not me, you know my own selfish will what I selfishly want um, I wanted to be a professional athlete, you know I didn't tell a lot of people that, but I really felt like I could um, was there doubts oh absolutely there are many ups and downs of the story. I think the better question I suppose would be when do you when did it come to actual fruition <laughs> when did, when did you actually when did you actually know that okay it's gonna happen right now sure because I always felt like it could it could happen because I I just believed God could do anything he wanted you know but it was when coach levy called me on draft day you know uh he, you know my agent told me before the draft oh yeah there's no there's no doubt you're gonna get drafted now you got to remember I came from complete obscurity I mean I played I only played two years of college football and one of them was at Shadron State an NAi Division two school in the middle of nowhere Nebraska you know, I mean, you talk about the NFL mecca of the world—it's Shattered Nebraska, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, and so I only played two years, and, and here I am. It's draft day, and even though my agent said, "Oh, you're going to get drafted," you know, "Oh, sure." And if God wanted—and I always tell him, you know, if God wants me to, I'm going to get drafted. There's no doubt, you know. And and here I am. It's—I'm the Bills' first pick in the 1989 draft in the third round. They didn't have a first, second-round pick, so I was their first pick. Wow. And and it really didn't come to reality until. Coach Levy was speaking to me on the phone and said, we just took you as our first pick in the third round, Don. And and so it was just from that, it was just a culmination of all my whole upbringing. And and just to see how God brought me to through the fire and through the doors being closed and then doors opening and, and just seeing his handprint through the whole thing, but yet never gave up the faith, never gave up the faith. You know, I just always believed that God could do anything he wanted. If he didn't want me to, he would take it from me. He would make he would he would move me in a direction my desires and wants to please him would move in a different direction. But that never left as an athlete. I wanted to be a professional player. And and I always tell my kids, I said, You whatever you feel God's laid on your heart, go be the best that you can be at it. Doesn't mean you're gonna be the best. Just be the best that you can be at it. And where is God taking you with that? that it would be a platform that you would be used to tell people about Christ, whatever that is. And lo and behold here, my son is doing the same exact thing, you know, uh, playing in the NFL now just finished up his second year with the Minnesota Vikings. And his story is crazier than mine, <laughs> you know, it, which is crazy to even say, but it is. And, man, just to see the powerful testimony that young man has, I'm so proud of him mm. because of that that he's just leaned on Christ so many times in complete devastation of another injury and another setback and just so many things that Satan has tried to take him down, and he just keeps picking himself off the mat. Man, is he an amazing young man to speak to about faith.
2: That's awesome. Maybe we need to get him on the podcast as well to share his testimony because, you know— there's a lot of athletes that their identity is found in what they do. And when an injury comes and they're saddled on the sideline uh, and that notoriety, that attention isn't there anymore, it's a a difficult journey to walk. And, um, you know, it sounds like you were saying your son has overcome that and, you know, had that adversity and just relied on his relationship with the Lord through that. And so, man, he sounds like somebody we should have on the podcast one time.
1: Yeah, you should. I, I, after every devastating injury that he's had, and he's had more reconstructive surgeries I, I can shake a stick at, but every time, you know, I just look at him in the face and I can just see that he's he's just down. And I look at him and I said, son, do you love the Lord? He said, you know I do, Dad. I said, son, do you think God has your back? You think he's in your corner? He said, I know he is, Dad. Nice. I know he is. I said, Then what are you worried about? you got nothing to worry about. Pick yourself off the mat. Go, go, do it until you feel like you've exhausted all possibilities of the Lord using you, and then do something else until that. But until you lost that desire to keep doing what you're doing, I said you keep doing it because there's no way he should be in the NFL. No way. I mean, he had a, I mean, just a, just a pretty average high school career and certainly an average college career. But yet here he is, you know, in the Minnesota Vikings. So it's just an incredible story of persevering through setback after setback in life. I mean, he he literally has lived a life that so many people deal with every day. You know, just a setback, but just persevere through it. Yeah. Uh, and and you and people that are listening to this might say, "Well, he's in the NFL." Oh, oh man, oh you have no idea, you have no idea what this this young man has been through to get there. Mm. You know, and it's and it does and again we're just talking about sports, but it's everybody that's listening to this radio right now in this podcast that could say the same thing. How yeah. many times could I have made a better decision? How many times could I have picked myself off that mat and just per- kept going and kept going? Because there's no way that if my son would have not picked himself off that mat, he would not be where he is today. There's no way. He would have missed out, on I think, on blessings. And we miss out on God's blessings times because we're not obedient to his word, yeah. you know? And uh, we miss out. I, personally, I, I try my hardest not to, to miss out as many blessings that the Lord has for me yeah. and things that he has for me you know and so I try to be obedient as much as I can
2: speaking to that obedience so you get drafted by the bills now you're in a professional locker room again a lot of different belief systems in a professional locker room a lot of different lifestyles in a professional locker room and now your platform's a little larger the way you you've shared that you're an introvert so the way that you're wired where you whether it was college or your professional teams were you want, uh, in out were you outspoken about your faith or were you more i'm going to let them see my faith by the way that I live my life and yeah. if they ask a question then uh, that opens the door for a conversation or kind of how did you approach sharing the gospel with these guys
1: yeah so that, that that's a great question um, I really was an introverted kid uh, and being the first pick I mean automatically Fred reigns the chaplain of of uh, the buffalo bills would try to Get me to do speaking engagements, and and I would always come up with an excuse, you know. Basically, I, I was lying. I mean, I was just—it was just wrong, you know. And I knew it. And I was like, Lord, I just can't do it, you know. I get sweaty, and I'm just embarrassed, and and so, um, Fred Rains calls me and said, Hey, look, Frank reich's going to go do this speaking engagement. I want to say it was my second year in the league, maybe, you know, and um, and he, you know, he, the church would love for you to come with Frank, and you could say a few words and speak a little bit too. And I was like, "Ah, oh, fine,
3: I'll go because Frank's
1: gone." <laughs> so it's an hour and a half ride over there, okay, Mike? And and we're driving, Mike's or Frank's. Frank's driving, and I'm in the passenger seat, and, and he looks at me. And he goes, "Bees, hey, tell me your story, man." He says, "I, I you know, Fred's told me that's a great story," and, he, and so I share my testimony. And then I told him, I said, "You know, but I just this is my kind of my first one I've ever really done, and I'm just so I get so embarrassed when I stand in front of people and nervous, and I'm just a nervous type." You know, because I just don't feel, you know, for a lot of reasons, whatever, you know. And he looks at me like any good Christian friend could. And he looks at me and he said, Beeps, you need to get over yourself. And I was like, Wow. I was like, Man, what do you, I said, what do you, in my mind, I'm thinking, what do you mean, Frank? I, I'm, I don't feel like I'm a, a conceited person. It was all about me. He says, No, no, no. You don't understand, man. This, God has given you an amazing story. He says, Man, I can't believe this story, man. It's I didn't know this about my friend and roommate. And he says, this is an amazing story. I said, God has given you such a great story. You need to get over yourself. It ain't about you. It's about him. So go share it. So I said, you know what? You're right. You're right, Frank. And so that night I spoke, still nervous, okay? But when I was done, it was like, that was awesome. (laughs) I mean, it was like, wow. I mean, I got more out of that, I I guarantee, than the people there. And I got a standing ovation. That's what was crazy. I mean, it was an emotional it was just an incredible time to the point where I wanted to do more of them. But yet, was I still wanting to go out? No, because Satan was still there saying, no, you're not very good. Yeah. You're, you're a terrible speaker. You're, you're, you look terrible and you, you know, all these things. He makes you feel this terrible. And I said, no, I'm going to make a commitment to this. So I started taking on more and more and more to the point where I'm at now. I'm like, I love doing them. I mean, I'd, I'd love to do them, and, and people you know, ask me to come to speak, and I go and speak, and it's just something that I – I'll probably do 20, 30 events a year now. Wow. You know, and speaking, and that to me is an absolute miracle. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, if you'd have known me 30 years, 20 years, uh, there's just no way. You know, but here I am now today, and you would never know it.
2: Isn't it crazy how, you know, the enemy could have attacked on either end of that? You know what I mean? He yeah. could have – Allowed that fear to be crippling to where you don't do it and um and and didn't do it again, or he could have instilled this, like you know you got
1: a standing ovation,
2: man. Yeah. Pride could have swelled up inside that's of you and been, I'm the man. Oh,
1: yeah. Right, exactly. That is exactly, and that is a that's a tough one right there, especially an athlete, right? because you know, athletes get they're full of their you know ovations and their cheers and oh you're so this and that, and it's like. Okay, stop it, Satan. Yeah. You know, <laughs> stop. I see right through that, you know. So, yeah, you're right. Um, it, and when I go, I, I just pray every time, like, you know, before I speak. And, you know, just Psalms 1914, you know, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and Redeemer. So as long as I go into that with the right mindset that this is about him, just like Frank said, it's about him, Beebs. It's not about you. And he was right, dead right. And thank goodness for good friends. That's why you want to center yourself around good, godly people.
2: Yeah. Well, so aside from Frank, were there others on the bills that you kind of um, just did life with that that you knew, hey, together we're going to hold each other accountable?
1: Uh, yeah, there, there was. We had a great group. We probably had about, I want to say, 20-some guys, you wow. know, that would meet on a regular basis. That's what I missed the most, to be honest with you, Mike, is I missed the— the camaraderie of of you know the the faith based guys on the team. I mean, we would meet Mondays and and uh, uh, Fridays and, and then Saturdays, um, and then Sundays would be our uh, chapel. So when I was with Packers, we had what we called Reggie, you know, Friday night lights and or Saturday night light in uh, Reggie White's room. You <laughs> know, we would just go in for an hour of prayer. <sighs> you know, and uh, but Buffalo, yeah, but Frank was. Frank was, you know, cuz we were roommates for 6 years. So, and we had a it was a unique relationship because you know, when you go under when you go into uh you know, hotel rooms, right? and you travel, what's the first thing you do when you get into a hotel room? What's a guy do? Picks up the remote. Yeah. You know, and you you sit there and watch TV. You know, me and Frank, a lot of the times we would just pick up the word of God. Wow. And we would just start sharing with each other and and praying for each other and so, stuff. I mean, it was just a unique relationship. Um it was different, let's say, but yet I would say Frank hands down was was number one as far as a spiritual friend and spiritual leader uh, and one to look towards, you know, when I was struggling. And, and I think hopefully I was the same to him and and because uh, we battled a lot of the same issues, mm. um, so it was something that was really neat to have have him around as well.
2: Kind of speaking on battling the same issues, you know, you talked about being saved at the age of seven. And that mm-hmm. there were times where obviously life wasn't unicorns and rainbows, but, you know, there were obstacles, but never any that caused you to drift away from your faith. Is that ever a difficult thing to then when you're talking with people who are going through stuff like where Satan maybe has grips on certain areas of your life that is it ever hard to relate to that because you just never really experience that on your own?
1: Um. No, because I mean I, I I mean we all live in sin. We all have, all have sin to be forgiven for. What that sin is, um, I don't I don't think it really matters. I, it might matter to the person I'm talking to, but I found that when a person sees your humility and that you really care about them, well, they're willing to they're willing to say you know and talk to you. Yeah, yeah. you know because you know you got to understand I'm a coach and so I deal with a lot of different players. Right. And from a lot of different issues and problems that go on in their lives it's amazing so uh, you know now i'm their coach too so that brings credibility to them that they're willing to to speak to me about that um you know but but you know i think god's called called me in this area you know um to, to coach kids so I don't, you know, when I stand on stages and I speak to different people and I speak on different subjects of things like that, not I don't, I don't really think of that. I suppose no, um, I, I let I let the spirit just work on them, and I just pray that the spirit works on them, you know, or whatever issue they're battling. Yeah.
2: yeah, well, and and I want to get to you, you as a coach here shortly because I think that uh, the coach holds such a powerful position, and so I definitely want to hit on that. Um, but looking back in your life. Is there a moment that, at least one, you feel comfortable enough sharing, where you look back and you're like, "Man, my faith was really tested there. My faith was really tested there."
1: Mm. Well, I think I when I first went to college, um, I wasn't ready for college. Again, I think I'm going back to the introverted thing, and and you know, and I had a girlfriend too that we were doing date my junior and senior year. Uh, and I knew her since we were in in kindergarten. I met her in kindergarten. Well, she's my wife of four children, so
3: wow. it was it
1: was That's it was awesome. very hard for me to leave her, initially, uh, and go to the college scene. And I went for the two week camp, and it was just it's still the worst two weeks of my life. And I left. It caused a little struggle between dad and I because dad saw that I was giving up a full ride scholarship. Um, and I was and I was willing to give that up and 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 not. You know, and I had nowhere to go. So I floundered. Okay, I floundered. I, I came to back to Aurora and enrolled in a, a school uh, at Aurora and, and started playing basketball there And and because uh, they didn't have football. I uh, played basketball there, and then I actually dropped out completely um, from from uh, college, and I worked construction for three years. I wasn't even going to school, um, putting aluminum siding and wood siding on houses, believe it or not. Wow. Uh, and I was just going to, I just thought at that time I was just going to get married. So I was floundering and I was kind of like, you know, questioning, you know, not so much my faith because I was still going to church and I still enjoyed and loved my church and my pastor was mentoring me and, and all that stuff. So it's not that I ever doubted my faith, but I was, fl- I didn't know where to go and turn and I was just like, you know, I, I wouldn't even say depressed, but, but yet I was, I was not the jovial outgoing person that i think god has called me to be as far as a spiritual man um i was just kind of going through the motions let's say you know like matthew west song is going through the motions and i didn't want to be that anymore you know yeah. and so i just start praying that lord you know i i can't do this and you know and, and and my girlfriend at that time diana my wife um said to me she says you know listen you're gonna have to figure this out of what you're going to do or i'm leaving you know, I'm not going to marry a man that just doesn't, you know, and boy, was she right. But, man, that just scared me. That rocked my world, man. And uh, and so I just started praying, and I just started turning my faith back to my time and my faith and commitment to the Lord like it was when I was younger. And, and, and I started to grow in that. And, and, boy, God just started opening doors, and that's why that's why I wrote a book, <laughs> you know, because it was just an amazing story from, I mean, can you imagine can you imagine doing construction for three years, and then all of a sudden you decide that you want to go back and play football? in the same school <laughs> that gave you a full-ride scholarship three years previous calls you out of the blue. They didn't call me after year one. They didn't call me after year two. But three years later, I'm a college coach now, Mike. I'm telling you right now, if a kid came to me for a two-week camp and then left and, and didn't have conversation with this kid for three, I would not call him that. Yeah. I would say, oh, by the way, let me check in on Don Beebe three years later. <laughs> I mean, who does that? Nobody. Never. Okay, so they called me back, and I was like, wow, what an answer to prayer, Lord. Thank you. Wow. And that was the first door that opened up, and I went back. And, and it's a crazy store from there. I mean, that's just the beginning of it. Um, but yet, it was an amazing time. So that would be, that would probably been the hardest time of my life, no doubt.
2: And then you go to the bills, and I mean,. I- Everybody followed the Bills during that era and, you know, uh, three Super Bowl – four Super Bowl trips and – right? It was four Super Bowl trips that you had with the Bills. Yeah, four correct? in a row, yep. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, And obviously, you know, the, the story is what the story is, falling short in each one. And I mean I, that's adversity. That's adversity. Yeah. And so how did you deal with that adversity? And were there fellow players that you kind of had to walk through because – you know, again, your hope wasn't tied to what the outcome of that game was, but I'm sure there were some in the locker room where it was.
1: Yeah. See the adversity, you know, sometimes a lot of times adversity is what we put on ourselves. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, There there are certain things that happen in people's lives, you know, death of a family member. I mean, certain things, tragic things happen that automatically, you know, adversity. I mean, something of this nature, I, I don't, really recall the guys that went to all four Super Bowls and going through that, that we felt like it was adversity. The world was saying, oh, you losers. No, we went to the Super Bowl. Right. Okay, the right. Super Bowl. All right? <laughs> uh, that's not a loser. Okay, that's a winner. You know? Um, and so I don't... What we were able to accomplish, I mean, in going through that, I think bonded us together more than anything else. It was, It's still the closest-knit bunch of guys especially at that level, you know, that just enjoyed each other. It didn't matter if you were the best on the team or the guy that never played, you know, much at all, that it, everybody just kind of bonded together. Uh, it was a unique thing that we had with the community, the organization, and everybody involved in that was unique um, in the sense of – so we didn't – I don't think I, – I. I could probably speak for all those guys – I don't think we really looked at it as it was adversity and, oh my goodness, man, I can't believe we're just that bad.
0: <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Yeah.
1: We, were, we were in a time of our lives. Right, you right. Know, the time of our lives. And, uh, and, it, and as, we, as we all reflect on it, you know, I'm not one to look back, but if I was to go back in time and then say, man, I would love to go back to that or, you know, when I was a five years older or whatever, no, I would go back to Buffalo. I would go back to Buffalo in the '90s. It was a time of our lives. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, I, I one of my best friends growing up was a diehard Bills fan. I mean, mm-hmm. every Sunday he'd have the starting lineups up. You know those little action figures, and I mean, he just had this mural of of Buffalo Bills things. And um, so I will never forget, as I'm sure many won't. Uh, the Super Bowl against the Cowboys. You guys are, are way behind. And Leon Lett is just gallivanting his way into the end zone. And out of nowhere comes Don Beebe uh, to poke the ball out of his arms. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm I sure that you were a highlight reel for a lot of coaches that were mm-hmm. like, never do this again. You know what I mean? But, like, um, did you know at the time that – such a big deal was gonna be made of this.
1: No. No way. You know, I get asked this question a ton. I'm and sure. here we are we're at well, I don't even know what we are anymore. Twenty six, seven years later, and we're still talking about this crazy play. Uh I, I still every day, Michael, every day, and I mean it every day, I get at least one fan mail letter, at least one, that talks about that play. That's unbelievable every day for twenty some years. I mean, that's nuts. And here's the amazing part about the inside story of this deal is I remember it, it was about an hour before the game. Beautiful Southern California day. Mid-70s, uh, Pasadena, California, the Orange Bowl, or not the Orange Bowl, but the, the Rose Bowl. And, and it, it, it was the place that I dreamed about in my mom's backyard when I was a little boy. I wanted to play in the Super Bowl in the Rose Bowl. You know, I remember the old Oakland Raiders, you know, <laughs> and Fred Belenikoff. and and I'm thinking to myself, man, that would be kind of cool, or Charlie Joiner, and you know, and so here I am, I'm living my dream. I mean, I'm there. I'm about an hour away from kickoff of my dream game, and and I remember taking a knee, and I was, I had my my leg, my pants on, pads, and in my sh- game shoes, and I had a cutoff shirt. His pain. His, you know, your, your, you know, your gain, his pain shirt, you know, his pain, your gain was the name of, or the shirt. And, and I used to wear that on my pads all the time, you know, and, and I knelt down at the 50 yard line and I'll never forget this prayer. It's one of those prayers you never forget. Right. And I said, Lord, let me said, let me just glorify your today, mm-hmm. your name today and, and, and not mine. Let me glorify your name like I've never done before. Lord, use this platform, this stage of the Super Bowl, to glorify your name through me. And I I, seriously, I got up, Michael. I've never felt so good in my entire life. Wow. I mean, I felt like I could have ran as fast as my legs felt light. <laughs> and I was walking up that field. And honestly, selfishly speaking, I thought there's no doubt I'm going to win this Super Bowl by catching a one handed stab catch in the back of the end zone like a J.J. Jefferson catch to end the game to win it. Wow. I'm going to be a hero for the rest of our <laughs> lives, you know. And I'm thinking that's what I was thinking, selfishly, right? But no, God gave me Leon Lett. Crazy, right? I mean, just think about that for a second. And here's here's what I want people to the the great metaphor of this whole deal is this: is that if I stand on stages today, twenty some years later, I talk about it in a podcast, how many people can relate to a one handed stab catch in the back of the end zone to win a Super Bowl? Right. Nobody. Right. Nobody. But how many can relate to never giving up? Yep. How many people can relate to the chips are down? You're losing fifty two to seventeen. The game's almost over. Your life is almost over. The whatever it is is almost over. Your marriage might be almost over. Okay, you got no finances. Whatever it is, I mean, you're you're you're, you're flunking every class in college or high school, and it's and it's the end of the game. It's and it's drawing near. So what do you say to yourself? No, you got to go. You got to go. I got Christ in me, man. I, ain't, I can't quit. Yeah. I got to go, man. And so. When you're when you're raised that way and, and it's just who you are individually, you don't sit there and think about the play. Oh, Leon just picked it up. Oh, I think I'll go run him down. No, you just react. Yeah. How you react is really your true nature. Yep. Is really your true character. Because if we have time to think about it, you know, 10 seconds, a minute, certainly an hour, and certainly a day. I mean, most of us are good-natured people. We're going to make probably the right decision. Yeah. But when you, when you have to think about something in a split second and then react to it, that's really who you are. And so I tell people that on stages and I talk about, and it depends on if I'm talking to parents and how to raise your kids, you know, because my mom and dad did that. I would have never made that play without my mom and dad. No way. Mm. I just don't believe it because I wouldn't have been raised that way. Why? Because I saw other people standing there watching the play. I don't know what their upbringing was. I don't even know who you know what they were and inside or why, why didn't they run them down? You know, I don't know. I can't answer. You have to ask them, you know. But but God raised a person that, through that prayer, that it just, he gave me this play, Mike. I got to tell you, I can't tell you how many times it's touched people's lives in an incredible way. Praise God. And there's way more than I even I don't even know. Way more than I don't even know. And, and, and it's because I really truly believe this. That if I would have scored the touchdown to win the Super Bowl, would I be a hero in Buffalo? I mean, would people, would if I went back there and say, oh, there's, oh, yeah, yeah. thank you so much for winning the Super Bowl. Would I be that? Yes, I would. Would it have impacted people for the kingdom of God? Not near as much as the Leon play. Not right. even close. Right. Not even close. And and so I'm thankful. I'm thankful that God used me. Yeah, we got beat. We got beat in another Super Bowl, you know. But I'm, I'm thankful that God would use me in that. And then I was willing to listen and just do his, his will, you know? And so that's what I would tell people is that, you know, Leon Lett plays are happening every day. Yep. Uh, either you're, or you're running them down and you're Don Beebe, or you're your Leon Lett, <laughs> you know, and nothing against Leon because I've become very good friends with Leon. He's a great guy. Yeah. He just made a mistake and yeah. he admits it. Um. And so I would just encourage people to finish the race, man, finish the race. Don't ever quit. No matter what the circumstances are, you can't quit. Quitting is not an option.
2: And that's so good because like you said, in the moment, obviously, how could you? You had no idea what this would become. You just did yeah. it because that was your character. That was your character. You didn't do it so that 25, 30 years from now you're still getting fan mail every day or that people on podcasts would ask you about it or you know, that's not why you did it. You did it just because that's who you are. You know, yeah. and I think that that hopefully resonates with believers. You know, if you're listening to this and you're a believer, like what is that thing in your life that it's just about doing, not because of what the impact could be, but just doing because it's the right thing. You know, maybe it's that high school kid that, you know, one of your classmates is always getting bullied. And so, you you know, it's not right. So you just stand up for the kid one day. Well, man, you never know what impact that has on a kid's life. You know, I, I was I, I've shared this story before on the podcast, but I was bullied what I felt to be hellaciously in high school, you know, and uh, I was a freshman in high school and uh, every Friday I'd get thrown against lockers. And there was this senior football player that was like six, 200. I mean, he was just a mountain of a man. And uh, he stood up for me. He stood up for me one day. He saw me, and uh, thousands of people had walked by me before that, and no one stopped. No one stopped him. No one did anything. But this guy who, for me, had every reason to be like the rest of them and just keep walking by, he, he stood up. And uh, to this day, that, that was 1994, 1995. To this day, I've shared that story tons of times. You know, I, now, now with FCA, I share that with all the student athletes. He didn't know the platform that I'd have. He just did it because that was his character. That was who right. he was, you know? And so yeah. we never know, like you said, when God's going to present that opportunity for our true character to show. And like you said, it, it's literally happening every day. Every day yeah. there's opportunities.
1: And I would also reach out and say, you know, people that are bullied and picked on and, you know, and I mean, in, in our country right now, I mean, racism is becoming a big thing again. You know, it's been around forever, okay? But it's starting to become... A lot on social media, um, and and I always tell people, um, you know, my identity is not in you. My identity is not in your thoughts or your actions towards me. My identity is not in the color of my skin. My identity is not, you know, being bullied if somebody's picking on me. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, I know I got I believe this or not I used to get picked on my, my as, as well my junior in high school my sophomore year in high school I played varsity football and all well, the varsity guys didn't like me. Because I was playing varsity. I was taking their spot. And so I used to sit in the front of the bus, the player's bus, and drive the bus home from school. So I sat in the very front so I could get out that bus and run home. Because if I got caught, I was probably going to get beat up. Wow. You know, so it, it happens. But yeah. I just remember thinking about those things. And I was like, you know, I, I, it's not that they hated them or anything of that nature. I just knew that, you know, my identity is not in them. My identity is in Christ, you know, and who I am in him. And what does God think of me as a person? Yeah. You know, God loves me unconditionally, no matter what I do, he loves me. Yeah. You know? And so I just tell people that are hurting out there in this area that man, you got somebody to turn to, you got a book that you can read, uh, that's going to give you that peace and joy that you probably have never experienced before, you know? And I know what he's, I know that that's given that peace and joy to me. That's for sure.
2: That's awesome. And then we fast forward. And I want to keep going through your career you know we've yep. talked about the, the the losses in buffalo but then we fast forward to green bay mm-hmm. and uh now you're on the other end and now you're coming out as a super bowl champion um talk us through those emotions were they were they different was it uh was it all you ever imagined being a super bowl champion would be
1: <laughs> you know it's funny because i re- kind of reflect on what you said earlier you know you've reached the pinnacle right this yeah. is it Right, and I remember I was ten yards behind Favre. I was a safety guy behind Favre when he was taking a knee, and I remember looking up at the clock like it was yesterday. I mean, I'm watching the last ten seconds click off, and I'm thinking to myself, "I'm going to finally win this crazy thing," you know. And as soon as the gun goes off, and and everything's just going, people are just going nuts, and I walk up to Favre and just say, "Hey, man, you know, you know, could I have that ball?" And he looks at me and he said, "Bees, man, you deserve it, man," you know. Wow. And uh, so I got I gave me the ball, but I, I remember as I was walking over to my wife and and my family, and my two children at the time, um, you know, Amanda and Chad, and thinking to myself, okay, I feel okay, I mean, I feel great, I mean, this is great, but is this it? Is this it, man? Is this it? I just, I just know, and I, don't get me wrong, I mean, I'm not saying that it wasn't great, but what's tomorrow? What do right. I do tomorrow? Right. You know, and as an athlete, you're always striving for the next goal. What's the next thing to achieve or do in, in athletics? And and now, you know, you're just driven, you know, you're driven that way. Uh, I just know, and I reflect on those, those thoughts and think about that. That's not how I'm going to feel in heaven. Yeah. You know, I'm going to think, wow, wow, this is amazing. I mean, this is better than I thought. Yeah. I don't ever want to leave this. I don't ever want to leave this feeling. I mean, that's what heaven's going to be like. Yeah. I mean, those are feelings and emotions none of us have ever experienced. I just don't I just don't believe we've ever experienced that before. You know? And and to have that for eternity? I mean come on, man, that's gonna be great. Yeah. I can't wait. Like Paul says it's to the eyes to gain, man. (laughs) So but I'll keep doing this work until he calls me home and I'm ready. That's it. (laughs) So
2: now I want to move on. Now you are a coach. You've coached high school. You've coached college. And so you kind of see both ends of it, right? You've seen what it's like. I'm sure through your career, you didn't always play for coaches who were believers. So you've seen coaches that aren't coaching uh, the heart of the athlete uh, necessarily, but they're more coaching transactionally. Um, And now it's your turn. And you're the coach. And so what were some things that just in terms of philosophy of coaching, what's been important to you to make sure that, okay, regardless of our record, um, we want, you know, th- this is what I want. This is what I want my teams to be known for.
1: Yeah. Well, that uh, coaching goes right along with parenting. Like I said earlier, I, I, the players need to know what that line is, yet you can't cross. And it doesn't matter if you're Brett Favre or Jim Kelly, if you cross that line, there's there's a penalty to pay. Don't brush it under the rug and, and give exceptions to that rule just because he's a superstar. They're all the same when it comes to that. So And you lose, your, you lose the trust that these guys have in you as players to the coach that if you're treating players differently based off of discipline, okay, what the rules are, that ain't ever going to work. No way. So basically, um, I lay out the rules. These are the rules. Okay, let's that we can't we can't do this. Like God's word. I mean, God has the 10 commandments. I mean, we're not supposed to do those. Don't do them. And if you do, there's consequence to it. You know, uh, but at the same time that they know that and the most important part of it is that they know they care you care about them, that you love them unconditionally, no matter if they screw up and they will. You know, that coaches there for them, man. I think the coaches that have that to know what the line is not to cross, but they love you unconditionally, and they have those two things are the best coaches. I think you get the best out of your players. I hope I have that. I really do. Um, I hope I love these guys unconditionally, and I'm in their corner uh, and help them. You know when they when they need help, um, but yet they have to pay the price, and they know. And I explain to them, I, I have to do this. You know, my dad he used to say to me, you know, when he was spanking he says, Son, I, gotta, I have to do this, and, and it's because I love you. And I used to think to myself, you love me because you spank. That don't add up, Dad. Right. <laughs> you know, but yet it was the truth. And now that I'm a parent and, and was a parent of four children, you know, during those years, I, he was right. You know, it's the same way of coaching. So I think I learned a lot from the coaches that I had and the successful coaches that I had all had that one ingredient they really cared about their guys. They really cared about their team and their players unconditionally. Um, Marv Levy was an amazing human. is is an amazing human being. I mean, an absolute true professional uh, in of that word. And um, and even though he had to cut a guy or release a guy or move on from a guy, he would be he would call you into his office and he'd talk to you man to man. And send you, instead of like nowadays, you know they send you an email or a text or they have somebody else do it for them. Mm. I mean, come on, man, you know, come on, you know. uh, And I think that that's the one thing that I've learned with him is just treat people with dignity. Um, uh, You know, I I think life is all about relationships and never burn a bridge. No matter what people have done to you, don't ever burn a bridge, ever. Forgive him and move on. Just forgive them and move on if that's what that it calls to be, or forgive them and make it better, uh, because that's the one lesson that they could learn. Because one thing I've learned is they know they've done wrong. Yeah. When you can show them the love of Christ, when they know they've done wrong, you know, that's the greatest love you can show somebody, just Absolutely. like he did for us. Absolutely.
2: That's so good, Don. I, I we have all been so blessed. Uh, I think I speak for everybody. We've been so blessed by your testimony and everything that you shared and. um I truly hope that – and believe that people that listen to this are able to glean from what God has done in your life and can apply it to their own or can find hope through what God has done in your life. And so now we're going to transition to one of my favorite segments called Eli Wants to Know. And this is where my 8-year-old son Eli asks a very hard-hitting question that all of America wants to know. So, Don, are you ready? Sure. Sure. Eli, are you ready? Yeah. Okay, E, go ahead, bud.
3: Hey, Mr. Don.
1: (laughs) Hey, Eli, how you doing, buddy? Good. I'm ready.
3: What was the most touchdowns you ever had in a season?
1: Oh, in a a season? Oh, wow. I thought you were going to ask me a game there for a second. (laughs) Um, In a season? Oh. I think fifteen once in college. I think I had wow. fifteen. I know I. I think I, I had four touchdowns in a game against the Pittsburgh Steelers in nineteen ninety one. I think. Wow. And then I had f- five touchdowns in a game in college, uh, one year in nineteen eighty eight. That's great. Yeah.
2: Well, Don, we thank you for that. Eli. Is that
1: it? No more questions? I was ready for like three or four more, man. <laughs> <laughs>
2: My five-year-old daughter wants to get on and ask a question, but I'm not sure where that one's going to head. So, <laughs>
1: Okay. That's fine. No problem. <laughs> well, thank... well, thank you for the call. Thank you for the the question, Eli. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Uh, so, okay. So now we're going to head into our next segment that's called uh, – it's just three and out. We ask the same three questions to everybody. Um And it's just a way for our listeners to kind of get to know you a little bit better. And so, uh, we'll just start with the first one. What is the last book that you read?
1: The Bible every morning. I and I say that, and I, you know, I'm not one. I'm not a person really to read a lot of books. Even though I have read some books before, um, I'm not one to read a lot of books because I, I want. I want my point of view always to be based on the truth. And a lot of times when you read somebody else's, a book or something like that, and cause I like to read a lot of, you know, uh, autobiography would be probably the books I would like the most to read. But the last book is the Bible. And that was this morning. So that would answer that question.
2: <laughs> the second question is you're on a road trip. What are you listening to?
1: um, I, I kind of like all genres, to be honest with you. But the the one I listen to the most is the message on uh, satellite radio. Um, that's that's always it's always in my top five, and I'm probably listening to that the most. But I'm a, you know if I was to pick an era, the '70s hands down. The '70s is the best music ever made.
2: Okay. Now, are you a podcast guy? No,
1: I mean I'm not really. I'm not a tech techy guy. I'm yeah. Uh, my kids always have to do my cell phone for me when I got issues <laughs> and i I just I was in a different world I grew up in a different age, so i I'm not much of a techie guy
2: okay, and then this one kind of has a uh i'm gonna ask this question, but then we're gonna dive a little bit deeper. The third yeah. question that I ask everybody is if they made a movie of your life, who would you want to play you but the reality Don is huh. this might be a reality,
1: so tell yeah. us a little
2: bit about that and uh
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Uh I never thought it would be a book guy or a, just certainly a, a movie guy, but um had people come to me years ago and we wrote a book Six Rings from Nowhere. Um and then uh and then um, they wanted to turn this into a movie. And so I've I've I dealt with this one group came to me years ago and and it never just got off the ground, but I've just recently been um contacted by this group out of nashville and and they're talking about doing something i i'm not at liberty to name a lot of things um but they want to do the don Beebe story and and tell people i mean it's kind of like rudy you know so you could be talking like to the next rudy hey i like that <laughs> you know, I, I like that yeah, yeah so you know and, and i've and as i told him in the very first conversation with them, i said listen if this has if this has anything to do with exploiting you guys and me and how much money and I said i well, will be honest with you. I, I don't have time and energy to, to waste my time doing that I said if this has everything to to center it around Christ and his kingdom and, and reaching the loss and telling people you know the great story that God's given me I'm all ears and um, so they're all they were all about it I was I was blown away with their attitudes towards that and so we're we're in the works of uh, early stages of making that happen yes
2: That's got to be so exciting and unbelievable at the same time and you know I think we're 10 episodes in and you are the first one that uh, when we've asked this question it's a reality we've had some pretty <laughs> great testimonies that have come on uh, and some that you're like oh man that really could be a movie and and here it is you're, you 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 may actually have that movie and so that's absolutely awesome and we will be on the lookout now Don we're going to do something we've never done here on the Champions Podcast uh oh yeah it, my, my nervous levels at a out of seven right now but uh my five-year-old daughter says she has a legitimate question for you and so we're gonna ask so yumi are you ready yes okay go ahead and ask mr don a question
3: hey mr don what's what was your number in football
2: Ooh, uh, sorry what was the question say it again and a little louder yumi
3: hey mr don was your number in football
2: what was your number, uh, number. in football
1: Well, that's a great question, and there's a little story behind that as well. I was number 82, and the reason I chose 82 with the Buffalo Bills is because I was the 82nd pick in the draft. So that's how I got my number.
2: That's awesome. That's awesome. Great job, Yumi. And uh, Mr. Don, we thank you so much for uh, entertaining us with that. And so – one thing that i did want to talk to you about and i not talk to you about but i wanted to share this with all of our listeners is you know Don had mentioned that he goes around the country and he uh, does speaking engagements. And so if you're listening to this and maybe you're a coach and you want Don to speak to your team or maybe you work at a church and you want Don to come in and just kind of share his testimony, uh, Don, you're willing to do that if I'm correct. And can you just tell our listeners uh, how they could get a hold of you and whether,
1: yeah, I'll let you go ahead with that. Yeah, sure. The the best way to just go is just to go to com. And, uh, and on Don com, you can find an area, uh, a little icon that you can click on for speaking engagements and different stuff that I love to travel around and do. So that would be the best way, Mike.
2: That's awesome, well, we thank you so much for taking the time to uh, join us today and just kind of share your your heart and your love for the god it's so for god it's so evident in uh, just hearing you talk that you're just overflowing and and we know that you are a light in every room that you walk in and uh, we are excited to hear the continued only God stories that come from you being a head coach, you being a husband, and you being a father, and we will be on the lookout for a potential movie.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. See if uh, see where God takes it. And I appreciate your time, Mike. Thank you.
2: What an interview. What an interview. What an interview. Don Beebe, thank you so much for your time. You absolutely knocked it out of the park. We are so blessed to have heard your testimony. And man, I just can't stop thinking about that those fishing trips and how all... Every single person that attends is saved and has never missed a trip. That is a legacy. And that is something that uh, I I think will stick with me forever. Guys, I hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as as I did. I hope that God really ministered to your heart through it. Listen, Don's testimony is so powerful. And I feel like it's a testimony that others need to hear. And so if you wouldn't mind, if you enjoyed it and you share the same thoughts that I have, guys, like, review, comment, share the podcast, let it get into other people's hands. Again, we say this every episode, but I mean it from the bottom of my heart. This is never about people Uh, getting a ton of people to listen to the podcast. That's not what this is about at all. It's about the power of our testimony and how God uses that, not just for us, but to impact other people. And so get Don's testimony out there. Get what God has done in Don's life out there. Do it through sharing. Do it through rating. Do it through reviewing. Do it through liking. Whatever podcast platform you listen to this on. Guys, we are so blessed that you took the time Uh, to listen, to listen to what God's done. And so uh, may you be blessed today. Thank you for listening. And until next time.
0: Looking for exceptional coffee delivered fresh to your door? We have the answer. Our friends at Grim Bean Coffee produce small-batch artisan coffee using top-tier coffee beans. The coffee is roasted when you order, guaranteeing the freshest coffee possible. Check out Breadbox Roasts, a new line of Catholic-themed coffees, available at www.grimbeancoffee.com forward slash breadboxmedia. Experience coffee like never before.